0: Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, along with my beautiful wife, Janet, again today. So happy to have her back, and our producer, Lindsay, and we are... Streaming from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio today. And today, you don't want to miss this episode. Stay to the very end because we have board-certified plastic surgeon, Dr. Carmen Kavali on. And today, this starts off first, the first of a four-part series on um, plastic surgery. And um, today, we're actually going to be talking about breast augmentation. So if you or anybody that you know um, is interested in that procedure, uh, stay tuned for the next half hour and share this with them. Watch live and let them know that Dr. Cavalli is an expert in this and she is going to go over probably all the questions that you could ever have. And speaking of questions, if you do have questions, you can um, send those questions in and comment on our Facebook, the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Facebook page, or the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site. And you can call in and actually talk. So 509 537. 0411 and later on our producer will will stream that number in case you have questions. So um, Dr. Cavalli, that being said, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself and we'll go from there. Dr. Cavalli, welcome Thank to our you. show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I am a board certified plastic surgeon in Atlanta, Georgia. I've been in practice for over 18 years now, solo practice the whole time uh, in, in the suburban area of Atlanta. Uh, My practice is head-to-toe plastic surgery, all aesthetics at this point. I still do some breast reconstruction, uh, but primarily um, aesthetic surgery at this point. Uh, Breast augmentation is a key part of my practice, a big component uh, in mommy makeovers, as you might imagine. So moms who wanna get back their bodies after they've had their babies um, often do combination surgeries that include breast and tummy. Uh, So I think we're talking today just about the breast part of this. I'm happy to be here. Thank you.
0: That is correct. And we will be uh, um, sharing some pictures today and we'll be talking about mommy makeovers later when we talk about liposuction and we'll talk about tummy tucks later on in the month. So stay tuned for that. Um, So let's just act like um, we know nothing about Uh, breast augmentation, and you're, you're talking to a patient like they're um, interested in the procedure. So let's just go from there. And, and, and how would you address that?
1: Well, these are the emails we get every single day from, from actual potential patients. You know, what is the breast augmentation? What do I need to do? What do I need to know about it? Uh, Let's start at the very basic aspect. Breast augmentation is breast enlargement. It's not reduction. A lot of people think of it as either, but it's actually enlargement of the breast. And it can be done in a couple of different ways. Uh, one is using breast implants. The other could be using fat transfer from your somewhere else on, on your body that you don't want it. We can put it in your breast to give a breast augmentation or enlargement. There are very key differences between those and what most people have in mind when they're asking about breast augmentation is not fat, fat transfer it's breast augmentation using breast implants. So when we talk about breast implants, there are two major categories of breast implants. There's saline and there's silicone. And there are a lot of subcategories within those, but saline implants are basically saltwater filled. Both saline and silicone implants have silicone shells. I actually have an implant here. So this is a silicone breast implant. It has a silicone shell and it is filled with a semi-solid gel silicone. Saline implants are also comprised of this silicone shell, but what's inside is not this gel, it's water, saline. Um, Key differences, if sometime down the road you have a deflation one of the implants is ruptured you have a trauma or the implants are just very old and there's uh you can see if it sits in a certain way has a little fold there over the years that becomes a weak spot and so you can get what's called a fold flaw that becomes a rupture years down the road with a saline implant if you have a rupture you get a flat tire And it's obvious that you have a rupture. There's no question about it. With a silicone, because it is that semi-solid gel, you can cut a pizza slice out of the implant. You can hold up the slice and you can hold up the rest of the implant. They both just stay there. Doesn't drip or run or ooze or go anywhere. So for that reason, if you have a tear in the shell of a silicone implant, you may not know that that has happened. Because of that, the FDA recommends that you have an ultrasound, a high definition ultrasound or an MRI five years after your augmentation surgery to assess the integrity of the silicone implant. So even if you're fine, you should have surveillance done on the implants. And it's important that you don't confuse this particular imaging with any breast cancer screening imaging. It's completely separate. So if you have a high definition ultrasound, it's just to look at the integrity of the implant shell. If you choose an MRI, it's just to look at the integrity of the implant shell. It's not to assess for breast cancer. So you still have to do your breast cancer screenings, your mammograms, your self breast exams, as you would anyway. So the next thing, once we sort out saline versus silicone, um, and I realize I've made silicone sound very negative. I didn't mean it that way at all. They're very different in what happens if they become ruptured Uh, but they're also very different in how they feel. And I can actually show that a little better here. So these are two different silicone implants and I don't know if you can tell here, but if I hold them up, one looks a little more solid than the other, right? This one's much softer. It has more wrinkles. When I hold it up, this one holds its shape much better. So this is, um, a highly cohesive gel implant and this is a less cohesive gel implant they both are semi-solids neither one is a liquid that's going to drip or run or ooze but if you if you want a more natural feeling implant you're going to choose a silicone over a saline and you can even choose the density of the silicone within the family of implants Um, i tell thinner women who don't have a lot of coverage to camouflage an implant to maybe choose what I call the Goldilocks implant. It's the one that's right in between the two I just showed you. <laughs> so it's a little softer, mm-hmm. it has less wrinkling. its I call it the Goldilocks. The implant manufacturer Allergan calls it a soft touch implant. So an Allergan soft touch is the most commonly used implant in my practice. There are other manufacturers and they're absolutely fine worthy um, products. I just tend to use uh, the Allergan products uh, primarily. Um, uh, Smooth shelled implants. This is very important. So we talk about implants, we have saline versus silicone, we have what's inside of it. And I mentioned that both saline and silicone have this silicone shell, but this is an important aspect. You can see this is a smooth shell. I don't have a textured implant here with me, but there are other implants that have texturing. It's, it's microtexturing, like you can feel it as a rough surface and you can see it as more of a muted, bumpy surface. The textured implants are very much out of favor in my practice. And the reason is there's a very rare uh, lymphoma called uh, anaplastic large cell lymphoma that can occur, it is rare, but it, it can occur in the scar capsule that your body makes around any implant. But that ALCL lymphoma has only ever been associated with textured surface implants. Mm. So the solution is to not use textured surface implants. <laughs> Reasons we used right. to use them, right. Yeah, we used to use them because they stay where you put them. And this is important if you have someone with a pectus excavatum, you know, a caved in chest or a pectus carinatum, uh, more of a barrel chest where the implants are gonna go where gravity takes them, but a textured surface can help them stick into the position you want them to stay. The the, uh, The smooth shells don't have that sticky factor to them, but they also don't carry any risk as far as we know of ALCL, so for that reason, Uh, textured surface implants have left my practice over the last couple of years. Um, I know some colleagues are still using them with appropriate uh, informed consent, but I just don't see the need to take more risk with an elective procedure. If there's some, if there's a risk factor I can remove, that's what I'm going to do.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. And I don't know what, the cosmetic benefit is of texture will you explain that
1: sure well the cosmetic benefit is that it stays in position so if you have someone with um a chest wall shape that's going to encourage the implant to slide together or to slide under the arms cosmetically it's nicer to have the breast stay where it should stay (laughs) Um, So what we do instead with the smooth-walled implants is, you know, extra bolstering with additional suturing or uh, put an extra material in what I call an internal bra, a collagen sheet, to support uh, the implant in its position until it gets well healed. So there are a lot of nuances to breast augmentation, as you might tell from my my ongoings here. Um, (laughs) But to get back to the start, (laughs) to get back to new consults, we have to decide what implant First of all, are you appropriate for an implant? Are you a reasonably healthy person with realistic expectations? So once we've gotten past that, we talk about are you thinking about saline? Are you thinking about silicone? Once we've got that, now we're talking about how are we gonna put them in? If you just need an augmentation and you don't need a breast lift, you have a couple of choices of incision placement. One is in the fold of the breast, and that's the most common. I'll explain why that is in just a minute. The other is through the uh, lower half of the areola. Uh, And then the third would be an armpit incision. Uh, I strongly dislike the armpit incision. Uh, If you notice, the silicone implants are already filled. So the bigger the implant is, the bigger the implant is. And you've got to have a larger incision and a larger path to get the implant into position. And when you're coming from the armpit, that can be a pretty wide track. And the implant can slide back up over time, it's just not an attractive look. Uh, In addition, the uh, axillary tissue with the the hair follicles uh, has a slightly higher infection rate than some of the other incisional approaches. The periareolar incision under the areola uh, carries a slightly higher risk of uh, nipple numbness or difficulty with future breastfeeding. Um, So, for all of those reasons, I like to approach from under the breast, right in the fold of the breast. It ends up being a hidden incision. You know, when someone's looking straight on, you don't really see the incisions. You have to lift the breast up to to look for it. Um, The incisions are all under the skin, or the sutures are all under the skin, uh, so there's nothing that has to be removed and there are no drains. So once we picked our incision site, the next thing we have to choose is where are we putting the implant? It can go over the muscle or it can go under the muscle. And there are lots of different reasons to choose either. Going back to why we used to prefer textured implants in some cases, when we put the implant 100% under the muscle, it's going to stay there. The muscle's going to support it. What that does though, is it raises the whole breast footprint. So you've got to still be able to center it under the nipple. That's for 100% under the muscle. The traditional under the muscle approach does not put it 100% under the muscle, it puts it about 80% under the muscles. This being being the muscle here and this being the implant sitting under it, um, the muscle comes like a fan across most of the implant, but the implant still sits in the breast on the bottom. Uh, So it can slide down over time. And then the other approach is above the muscle, taking the muscle completely out of the equation. So when you flex, you don't have any fancy party tricks to do with the, with the implants. They just stay right where they are. Dang it. (laughs) So so that's the advantage of being totally under the muscle. You don't have that party trick or hundred percent above the muscle. It's when it's partially under the muscle that you can create flexion deformities with animation. So above the muscle, you only wanna do if you have adequate coverage. If you are super thin with no breast tissue and no no pinch thickness on the upper part of the muscle, you're not gonna be able to camouflage an implant. It's going to look like an implant stuck under the skin and you're going to see wrinkling and rippling when you bend over. That, by the way, is an advantage of silicone over saline. That wrinkling and rippling happens far less often with silicone than it does with saline. So there's an advantage there to silicone. Um, In my practice, I would say 99.5% of the augmentations I do are with silicone implants and probably 95% of them are under the muscle. Uh, And these days about 70% of them are 100% under the muscle, not just partially. Um, And those are for women who don't need a breast lift these are just straight breast augmentation so we're just going larger we're not having to change the nipple position we're not having to take away extra loose skin everything's just there needing to be made bigger um, and the last decision I tell everyone we've got four decisions to make <laughs> you know saline versus silicone over or under the muscle how we're we gonna get it there and what size do we need how big do they need to be and that goes right back to that first conversation we have. You know, Where are we starting from? Where do we wanna to get to? What's realistic? Because you can't just come in and say, with a picture of somebody that's not you, and say, I want these breasts. You can't have those breasts unless you were that person before. You know, the, the chest wall has to be similar. The existing breast tissue has to be similar. Um, the skin quality has to be similar. The chest wall shape has to be very similar if you have someone with a wide chest and you brought in a picture of somebody with a very narrow chest there is no way your breasts are going to look the same as that person so be very cautious i would say when you're i do like wish picks it's very helpful for me to see what somebody has in mind as as their goal but the wish picks have to be realistic and it's helpful for me uh, during consult to be able to say this is this is realistic or not and why um, I also use 3D imaging in my practice, vector 3D imaging. So we take a we take our normal 2D photos like you see in you know every before and after picture, but we also do a 3D image using this system. And what it allows me to do is try on implants that are they're also preloaded in the system. The implant dimensions are all preloaded from all the manufacturers. So I can pick you know a saline or a silicone or whatever size shape I want and put it in that 3D image. And it shows that patient in a very realistic way, what she can expect for her results. And it really helps. What it has stopped for me is the the rice bag, (laughs) try-ons. And I also don't have to keep 2000 implants in my office anymore for all the potential sizes and shapes that someone could choose from to stuff into their bra. That's a very unrealistic way to size an implant because first of all, it's gonna be under tight skin or under a tight muscle when the surgery's done. And so it's gonna look nothing like an implant just stuffed into a bra with me standing behind trying to hold it in <laughs> to, to hold the shape. So this is a very realistic way um, to see the size afterwards and the shape. So the other question it often answers for us is somebody comes in and they want just a breast augmentation. I do an exam and I think, oh, I really think you're going to need a breast lift, but I get it. Nobody wants extra scars. And to have a breast lift, you have extra scars beyond what you would have with a breast augmentation. So this imaging software really helps with that. I say, okay, we're not going to do a lift. We're just going to put the implant in and we'll see what it's going to look like. And pretty universally they then see why I was suggesting a lift and it helps them come to terms with it and um, you know, it validates what I'm saying to them and they don't feel like I'm trying to sell them something that I really do just want to get them the best result and that's why I brought it up. Um, so we talked, those are the four things. <laughs> what type of implant, where are, we gonna, how, where are we gonna put it? How are we gonna put it in? and what size does it need to be? The one thing we didn't touch on yet is the different profiles of implants. Um going back to my, I think these are similar profiles, so th- this might not be helpful, but what you can see by the profile is these are the, the same width, the same base width, so they're going to fill the same dimensions on the chest wall. It's the projection, so this the implant goes in like this. So what you see from here to here is the projection of the implant from the chest wall. And I tell people, I can't change your width. That is based on your rib cage and the natural anatomic borders of your breast. I can't change that. Well, I can, but then it's bad. If I pick an implant that's way too wide for you, you're going to have a uniboob or you're going to have a lot of side boob or both. (laughs) Neither one is good. (laughs) And if I pick one that's too narrow for you, you're not going to get any upper pole fullness. It's going to be like a little plum floating around in space for a grapefruit, right? It's just not right. So the width is fixed based on your anatomy, but what we can change then, this is the analogy I came up with ages ago because I had a husband who just kept looking puzzled and then I realized he was in construction. So I said, you know what? We've got a piece of property. We've got a piece of property that we're going to build on <laughs> and we can't change. We can't buy the lot next door. This is our piece of property. Right. <laughs> we're going to either build a ranch or we're going to build a two-story home or we're going to build a townhouse or we're going to build a skyscraper." Those are all the different projections of implants, <laughs> and what they're called. It's a low, a low plus, a moderate, a high, a full, an extra full. Those are those are your ranch up to your skyscraper uh, projection implants, and the light bulb just goes off, and everybody gets it. Um, and what that lets us do is you know, keep within the, the proper anatomic borders, but still get the cup size that that the woman is typically asking for within reason. Um, So,
0: yeah, that, no, that's, that's great. That was, uh, that was a lot of information there. Thank you. Um, obviously you have discussed that just a few times in your practice, just a few, just a few. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I do have a question going back. Yeah. Right. I do have a question going back on breast, um, lift. So Mm -hmm. you talk about sometimes you'll do augmentation and a lift. Is there any time you do just a lift?
1: Yes, there is. So if, if a woman comes and says, i don't like my breast shape and i don't mind being a little bit smaller then we can just do a breast lift the reason i say they have to not mind being a little bit smaller is because i'm not taking away breast tissue but i'm repackaging what they have into a smaller envelope so visually it looks like a higher tighter smaller breast even though they might technically wear the same bra size it's visually a smaller breast because it's tighter and perkier um, so the only time you need an implant is if they really have no upper pole fullness. You can get a better breast shape with a breast lift, but what you cannot change without an implant or fat is the transition of the chest wall to the upper change. The upper breast does not change except initially and very temporarily when you have swelling. (laughs) So for maybe three months, like you've got some nice fullness and then it settles and you've still got a better breast shape. You've got a tighter shape. You've got a nipple that's pointing in the right direction, but you don't have that roundedness on the top. So if that's what a woman wants, we have to talk about that ahead of time and then decide, are we going to use an implant or are we going to do the lift, let it settle, are we going to add a little fat? The nice thing about just doing a lift and not adding an implant from the get-go is you're not burning any bridges. You can always come back and add an implant later. So you haven't you haven't destroyed any opportunities. And you've let that woman come to terms with the the idea that there really wasn't another option. It had to be, you know, fat or an implant that gets added, not just a lift.
0: So, Janet, do you have any questions for Dr. Cavalli?
2: I do. So we mentioned, uh, mommy makeover. So, um, how long should a lady wait prior to having their makeover after having her children?
1: Sure. That's a great question. And it's, it's a very common one too. I often have women email and say, I just had a baby. I think it's going to be my last. When can I come in? The answer for the, for the tummy is when you're, reasonably close to your pre-baby weight you don't have to be at your baby weight you can be 15 20 pounds off that's okay but you can't be 50 pounds off you need to be reasonably close to your pre-baby weight for the tummy work for the breast it's six months after you're done breastfeeding so i'll often have women come in for the mommy makeover consult while they're still breastfeeding we can go over the educational part of it i don't bother with the 3d imaging at that point because they might be engorged with milk everything's going to change when that's done, right. so, but they've got all the education, they understand the pricing, they're prepared and they know the timing of when they should come back for the actual surgery. So then we'll see them again for a pre-op visit, a, a confirmatory consult and the imaging and the sizing about five or six months after they're done breastfeeding and the surgery happens at least six months after breastfeeding.
2: So what about recovery? What are the expectations that a lady should have after she's had her surgery? So for breast augmentation, the recovery is really not that bad.
1: I say that it's relative. (laughs) The tummy tuck recovery recovery is much worse. (laughs) So an augmentation above the muscle is a really quick recovery, less than a week. I mean, you're driving within a few days typically. And I tell people the, the rule for driving for me is I don't tell you when you can drive you can drive when you're not taking any narcotics for pain and when you feel like you can react appropriately in traffic so it is your decision but on average with above the muscle it's within a few days for below the muscle in either either aspect the 100% total mu- submuscular coverage or the traditional submuscular it's a little bit longer more like a solid week and that's because the muscle's just tight it it feels like a friendly elephant sitting on your chest It's like a heavy, tight feeling. Some women say it feels like being engorged, but without the burning pain of being engorged, Um, but just a heavy, tight feeling. Um, It's very important that women right after surgery don't go home and protect themselves. I want the reaching for the coffee cup. I want, you know, you're washing your own hair the day after surgery. I want that range of motion to help soften things up a little more quickly. Um, Nothing herky-jerky. You're not back in the gym uh, for upper body for at least six weeks if we went under the muscle, Um, but not a bad recovery, especially in this day of, of Zoom and the vast majority of people still able to work from home. They are not even taking time off work. They're having the surgery on Thursday, maybe taking Friday off, but they're back at work on Zoom come Monday. Wow.
2: So the expectation of how long would a um, implant last for a, a client? I'm sure it differs, but there's probably some guidelines on that. Is. And that's a great question because it's not one that I touched on at all. Um, the average lifespan
1: of an implant, whether it's saline or silicone, they're the same, is about 12 to 15 years but it's not like an oil change or a tire rotation. You do not have to come in on a certain schedule to do anything with your implants, except five years after silicone, you should have surveillance um, MRI or ultrasound to assess the integrity of the implant. But as far as removing exchanging, there's no schedule for that. It's only when it's time for you, when there's a problem, when you want a size change. And by the way, the number one reason for reoperation after a breast augmentation is a desire for size change. Number one reason. Uh, number two reason uh, used to be capsular contracture, which is hardening of your body's scar. Your body makes a scar capsule around the implant, it's supposed to be there. It's another Goldilocks scenario. If the capsule is just right, then it provides some support for the implant position and a soft breast that feels and looks like a soft breast and not like an implant. If it's too soft, it doesn't give any support to the implant and you could over time with muscle movement and gravity have a malposition, meaning the implant sits too low, usually too low and too lateral towards the armpit. Um, Or it can be too tight, that's called a capsular contracture, a thickened hard scar capsule around the implant and that can turn the implant from a breast shape to a ball shape and that's some of those women you see look like they have a ball on their chest. They probably have a contracture that they're not having addressed for whatever reason. Um, so a contracture, a severe contracture would be a reason for reaugmentation. augmentation uh, Implant malposition would be a reason. Deflation we touched on would be a reason. Desire for size change or breast changes after weight change. So you've had, you had your implants, now you've had babies or maybe you've had uh, weight, gain and now weight loss and your breasts aren't what they were before you had implants so something needs to be done to match them up again but on average 12 to 15 years is is what i tell women uh, to expect from their implant
0: so let's talk a little bit about um pricing i know that can maybe that's pretty probably general but uh generally speaking what are you talking about for breast augmentation enlargement um pricing and then versus uh just a lift
1: Sure. So for uh, the saline implants cost a little less than the silicones do. That's just our price from the manufacturer. So a saline augmentation is a little bit less than a silicone. I think a saline is around fifty eight to sixty three hundred all in. That's the OR, the anesthesia, the implant um, and the surgeon's fee. Uh, We also include your scar treatment, uh, initial scar treatment in the package as well, uh, as well as your surgical bra. and all of your follow-up visits are included. So 58 to 63 for the uh, saline, and a little bit higher, more like um, 72 to 75 for the silicone. If you add a mastopexy or a breast lift, with, if you do just a breast lift, you're looking at, I think it's around 7, 7,500. Um, but if you do an implant with a lift, now it's more like 8,500.
0: And um, what, what are you talking, uh, so let's say, you must take care of patients all over the nation, I'm assuming, is that correct, Dr. Kavala? Yes, it is Dr. true. Yes. So how do patients get a hold of you, and how do you do the pre-consult? Do they have to come to Atlanta, or how can you do that um, and make it convenient for the patient?
1: Well, the nice thing about this day and age, I mean, there are some silver linings. There's a lot less traffic in Atlanta due to COVID, that's one. But the other is virtual consults. It was something that was not widely accepted pre-COVID, but now it's something people seem to be more willing to do and understanding that it's a normal thing and that I can get a lot of information and vice versa through just a virtual consult. So for a virtual consult, I'm happy to do that anytime, anywhere. Um, Scheduling, my office number is 404-250-3333. My uh, website is drkavali.com, dot com. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, and yeah. I'm on Instagram, and we put a lot of before and after photos on Instagram, and it's at drkavali, at
2: D-R-K-A-V-A-L-I.
0: Great. So, Jenna, as we wrap up this session, do you have any final questions for Dr. Cavali?
2: Well, the only other question I would think... Um a client or a lady might have is um, just a little bit about qualifications. What are the pitfalls or what is, what direction should we point clients as far as who should perform these surgeries for them? Great question. I appreciate you asking this because again, it's
1: something I didn't get a chance to touch on. Um, The American Board of Plastic Surgery is the only ABMS accredited board that certifies plastic surgeons. Um, When you're searching, it's very important that you look for a plastic surgeon and and that is juxtaposed against a cosmetic surgeon. The reason for that is only a plastic surgeon has had full training, including residency and fellowship training in plastic surgery, including reconstructive anesthetic surgery. A cosmetic surgeon could be somebody who who wasn't even a surgeon to start with, Say your internal medicine doctor, who takes a weekend course and then decides to call him or herself a cosmetic surgeon. There is no accredited board for cosmetic surgery. There is no bodily, there's there are no hospital privileges for cosmetic surgeons uh, in the vast majority of cases because it's understood that that training is is not up to the standards of the American Board of Plastic Surgery. So please, please. Don't shortchange yourself um, when it comes to your body, your health, your future. Um, you want a board-certified plastic surgeon.
0: Thanks for clearing that up because you know Jan and I are in the in healthcare as an industry, and we had no clue about that. So I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners and viewers that really appreciate you um, elaborate on that because uh, I had no idea. So thanks for clearing that up, Dr. Kamali.
1: Absolutely, there's so much misinformation out there. So I appreciate the opportunity to. To be here thank you
0: yep so last question and you already told us how to get a hold of you so that's uh, saves me one question but the last question is so it's obvious that you have a passion for what you do but but tell us what what drives you um what gives you passion about what you do
1: oh my gosh you know it kind of goes back to i think what got me into plastic surgery i didn't know i wanted to be a plastic surgeon i had this was not what i had planned <laughs> at all i I I knew I wanted to do surgery, but it wasn't until I was already a general surgery resident and I stayed behind after my team had done a mastectomy for breast cancer. We removed breasts for breast cancer. And for this particular woman in inner city Chicago in the in the 90s, nobody was doing immediate breast reconstruction. But in this particular case, there was a plastic surgeon coming in to do a reconstruction. And I begged my team to let me skip whatever I had next to see what this guy was going to do. And he did a tram flap where you take an abdomen and you build a breast. And it was like the angel saying, "I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. This is my calling. And so I went to my program director and long story short, I am where I am and, but I landed in Atlanta and I didn't train in Atlanta and you don't break into those referral patterns for breast reconstruction unless you've got those connections locally. And I had no idea, so naive, no idea. But what it meant was my practice grew in another direction and my, I get to, to give women back themselves. And it may not be through breast reconstruction. It might be through a mommy makeover. It might be through a facelift. It might be through some liposuction to get rid of that one stubborn problem area that just will not go away. I get to make women feel better about themselves. Men, too, but mostly women.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. And, um, you know, I'm sure you have a lot of gratified clients. It's that must be very rewarding. So. We will have you back on in two weeks talking about mommy makeovers. We're going to be talking uh, about tummy tucks specifically, and then we'll cap our four-week, our uh, four-part um, plastic surgery at the end of the month. On we'll we'll finish up with liposuction and just mommy makeovers in general. So I appreciate you being on today. Um, that's a wealth of information you gave us. So I really, really appreciate you being on. Um, thank you so
1: much. Thank you. So fun. Very nice and of you both.
0: You're welcome. Yep. So you've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. And as always, you can catch us every Thursday, usually for our midweek podcast and every Monday, um, 1230 to one, uh, every Monday. And speaking of Thursday podcast, our midweek podcast, we will have Ethne Nance. And she will be talking about um, how hospitals and insurance companies are in collusion to rip patients off. You know, today how we talked about how Dr. Cavalli was very transparent about pricing and she knew exactly what the price would cost and it was all inclusive, you know, surgeon, anesthesia, follow-up, all that. Well, that's not what happens at hospitals and that's not what insurance companies do. And they are ripping you, the consumer, off. So um, we want to expose that and we want to let people know that free market and transparent healthcare is what you as a consumer needs to search out. So stay tuned for that Thursday, 8 to 9 a.m. Thursday. And we've had Anthony Nance on before I'm, I'm super excited to have her back on as always you can catch us on facebook and on youtube the moses lake professional pharmacy youtube site and most of the podcast forums, so google play um, itunes and so on go to those um, our youtube site and like it please subscribe and um, comment so you can let us know how we're doing and if you want more episode what what other topics you want so thank you for tuning in today health solutions with sean and janet needham thanks dr Kabali.